analysis of the Vora from Nerdy Optometrist. I'm sure we are all excited about uh, this whole new conversation about PhD journey in United States. So I will now like to welcome our guest uh, and he's online. Very good Zulfi, I'm happy to see that you're present. So how has day night been for everyone so far? So while we wait for others to join and KU to accept and join the video as well, please note that uh, you can ask questions. Hi KU, good morning. Hi, good morning. I'm so glad we were able to do this. I know we've been going back and forth about this time and finally we are here. Yeah. So I'm glad you had some time with your busy schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's finally the semester is ending. So fortunately, I have some open time. Wonderful. So while we'll give another minute or two for everyone to join. Uh, meanwhile, thank you everyone for joining. And hello, Kushbu. I'm just going to look out for some responses out here. And uh, Anyone and everyone who's joining, please feel free to ask questions throughout our conversation if you have anything to discuss. All right. So are you all set for the weekend? I always look forward to the weekend. <laughs> yes, my room's a mess. I have to do a lot of laundry and cooking. So yes, I guess I'm all set for the weekend. <laughs> oh, that's a US life. I think we should we should be also talking a little more about the reality. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. So I think we have quite a few people online. And I also see your Ool's team for Krudin and Zulfikar join as well. So good job, guys. You're all always present. And I'm glad to see you guys here. <laughs> all right. And to all the others, welcome. And thank you so much for joining. Perfect. So with that, I know you. I think since our college days, yeah. uh, because I passed out when you joined, but you're still my junior. So I, I knew you were around. Mm -hmm. So I know you, but I know many people don't. So I'll start with your quick introduction and then we can go into this entire PhD process. Sure. And I already have the first question from Opto, OptKey24. What are the requirements for applying for PhD? Well, I would say we're going to get to that for sure. So keep sending in your questions and I will be trying to ask all of them or most of them to KU and we'll try to cover everything in this session. So this is exciting KU. Even before we start the conversation, we have questions. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so first thing first, uh, KU Savla and to be Dr. KU Savla. I know him from Lotus, but yes, he did his bachelor's from Lotus in 2016 after which he was a faculty at Bhavikara Institute in Mumbai. And then he got accepted in the University of Alabama, where he's currently doing his PhD. He is in his fifth year, uh, and he's doing his research under Dr. Andrew Pucker, working on multifocal contact lenses for myopia control. So the most hot topic with, I would say, best people in the industry. So good job, Keur, and a very warm welcome. Thank you once again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. It's always uh, good to help others in the same area. So I actually want to understand, was this PhD always your dream? Or is it something that you decided to pursue at some stage of your life? <laughs> so um, 
I remember when I was in third grade, I was asked to draw uh, what my career would be. And I drew a scientist, one, because it was easy to draw. But my picture of a scientist was um, someone with a test tube in a chemistry lab. Um, so, like, that was my picture. And then after that, of course, I got into optometry. And, uh, yeah, we all do this capstone research project at Lotus. Um, I did not know that there was anything further in research um, until almost my fourth year wherein um, Vishwa, who was my advisor, Dr. Vishwanathan Ramasubramaniam, he suggested, oh, yeah, you can do a research PhD. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, because it's in the U.S., who's going to pay? So I was like, yeah, I don't have that kind of money. No, like, no. Who has uh, money to go to the U.S. and study for five years? Um, so, like, if I had that I'm kind of money... I would just stay in India and live my life happily, you know? So he's like, oh, you don't need to pay anything. You just need to apply. All you need is, like, the application money. I was like, huh, okay. Um, I didn't believe him. I did a little bit of my research. Um, and then once I graduated, I was like, huh, this is something I should seriously consider. Uh, and so, yeah, that's how, that's how I got into research. So until, like, almost one year before graduation, I didn't know PhD existed in vision science or anyone could do this at all so yeah that's how i ended up being here this sounds very very uh, uh i would say very supportive to many people who are lost or who don't know but i have to say generations i mean i do say generations because i have passed out for quite some years now i hate to admit it but yes i do know many students who are doing optometry they already know what they want to do so uh, they are way more smarter in terms of they have their set plans, but I feel so good that I, like you know we are not the few ones who didn't know where our career was going. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I had no idea that I would end up here. So talking about uh, you know your journey, uh, you said you have done your bachelor's. Did you do your master's back in India as well or no? No, I did not. So I finished my bachelor's in 2016, and then um, I tried looking for like jobs. I had worked in clinics and. My father is an optician, so I did like the optician setup as well. And I was not very happy. Uh, while I was teaching at Vavikar, I did enjoy teaching, but uh, Vavikar did not have like a lot of research going on that, at that point. They did not have students that far along. So I was like, okay, uh, I you know need to do, uh, if I'm interested in research, which I was, I was like, okay, I just need to do that. And uh, I was too late for the application for master's, to be honest. By the time I decided that, and uh, then I was like, okay, I don't know if this is something I would need to do. And I asked uh, um, Dr. Vishwa, and he was like, no, you should just apply. Um, in the U.S. especially, you don't need any other qualifications, per se. So just apply, and you know, you will know where you stand, etc. So I was like, fine, I'm not enjoying anything else as well, so I might as well just apply, as he's saying. Um, yeah, so you don't need a master's, especially in U.S., U.S., the minimum requirement for any Ph.D. program entrance is uh, 16 years of education, which optimally qualifies for. If you're just a B.Sc. in science or something, it's 12 years plus three. So that does not qualify because it's 15 years of education. So you might want to go ahead and finish like master's or something. But optometry in India, if you've done like a proper bachelor's degree, it's considered as a four-year education, even though I know like the last year is internship, but it's still education. So, uh, yeah, it qualifies you for a PhD application in the U.S. in most places. So that actually is a very great insight because I know many people feel 
for phd or masters is mandatory and they might just not apply yeah that might thinking that you know this yeah. is a requirement after study two years for masters and only then i'll qualify so i think this was great even i wasn't sure to be honest I'm like oh you did your phd without your master so i, I made sure i asked this question and we go live so this is this is great this is great to know in us that's so, not the case it might be in other countries depending on the country but in us i know for sure uh, even in Canada, I'm not very sure, but most likely you don't need a master. They expect right. them in like a sort of a blank state, uh, blank state, so they can mold you the way they do research. Because what some people over here is when people come with a lot and lot of experience, it's just hard for them to unlearn and relearn new things. So they prefer people who don't have extensive experience. Got it. Perfect. So, uh, as you know, we started talking about it. I know everybody is having questions about like, what's the process? Do you need PRDNC? So, when you say about application, let's directly dive into your process of application. And please note, everyone, this is only pertaining to United States for now. Uh, that's where we are talking about. We don't know if you know things would be different or similar in other countries. So, yeah, if you can share, what was your application process here? So before I start answering this one application process changes each year, uh, like the small minimal requirements will keep changing and each university goes on upgrading. So you want to find out what is happening for your year, uh, because my information will say four or five years later. But in general, the idea is that um, applications should open sometime around August, um, and uh, they, they close around December, Jan. Each university will have a different deadline. And uh, can you one second? Sorry to interrupt. Your voice actually went low. Your volume. I don't know if you kept your hand on. Is yeah. is it better now? Yes, it is so much better. Yeah. Sorry. Oh. Go ahead. You were saying that the application is around uh, August to December. You said right? Yeah. In so that. applications open in August and uh, they close around December or Jan. Uh, each university will have a little bit of a different deadline, and uh, one of the, the few things that you need for sure is you need to have like your CV, uh, which is different from a resume. And they are very particular about getting a CV. So find out what's the difference and make sure you write a CV and not a resume. Resume for them is one or two pages, uh, which is like, you know, a short brief intro of what your skills are. And the understanding over here is resume is for an industry job where thousands of students apply so that they get a quick idea of what you are about and that's it they don't have time to look into it but for phd particularly you want to send in a cv which is a detailed explanation of all the things you have done um, so you have to write like your paper titles or poster titles and everything in detail and uh, at that level they're expecting about three pages minimum to start with uh, people have longer cvs but i had like I had to stretch mine to get to three pages, to be honest. Uh, so yeah, so they are expecting a CV, which a lot of people don't understand the difference and submitted the wrong way. Um, then most schools still require a GRE, uh, which is your uh, graduate record examination, which is basically uh, 12th or 13th standard English in math. Uh, so they call it quantitatives and verbal. Um, but a lot of schools are doing away with it because uh, strong research has shown that um, your score in GRE does not correlate whatsoever to your success in PhD. 
So you could have an excellent GRE score, but you could not be very successful in PhD. So UAB, mm -hmm. uh, the year after I applied, they stopped requiring GRE. So they don't require GRE at all. Um, of course, if you do give the exam for some other school and you have good scores, I would recommend you go ahead and submit it. Um, but if yeah, if you feel like your scores are not competitive enough for the school, then don't bother. Uh, TOEFL would be required. Um, some schools accept IELTS, but you again have to check their guidelines each year. They keep changing. But TOEFL is like your English language requirement, whether you know good enough English, etc. And for that, I would recommend getting like a decent score. Uh, it doesn't have to be like super high, but anything above like 100, 105 or something that that is acceptable. Um, and then apart from that, you will need letters of recommendation. So three letters of recommendation are required from most places. And uh, those are those are the, probably the most important uh, aspect of your application. Once your application gets to someone's desk, um, yeah, your scores and your um, percentages or you know GPA as they call it over here, that will determine whether people are going to bother reading it or not. But most likely, if you're applying, your GPA and all is decent. It's anything above 3.0 mm -hmm. is acceptable, which in Indian terms would translate to um, anything about 65 or 75 percent. Um, and you have to get it evaluated for some universities by yeah. World Education Services. It's called West Evaluation. Um, probably the most expensive part of the application costs around $200. Um, and that will give you what the conversion is into a GPA and of your grades and everything. And if you have about 3.0, then you know you are in. But after you are in, the thing that they stress most upon is your um, letters of recommendation. And this is a very tricky part. This is where most applications, in my opinion, fail. And I, I say most applications because I was on the um, um, admissions committee for UAB last year, and I got to see the process like internally, how they review and everything. Um, and this is where they stress the most, for especially for Indian students. Um, I have seen the sort of like letters of recommendation I have seen. I would recommend um, going through the letter of recommendation yourself uh, before it gets submitted. So whoever you are asking, make sure that you know you get to have a look at it before it gets submitted to see that you know just say all the facts are correct or not. Like you know, I just want to make sure. Uh, it is not important that someone of a high you know, position or your dean or, you know, the best known optometrist in the country writes you a letter. What is more important is what they write. Their position might not be that great. Of course, you can't have, oh, like, you know, my friend wrote and my mom wrote and something like that. You need to have someone who has taught you or mentored you or knows you in your research abilities. But at the same time, um, it is more important as what they write. Um, you need to have a decent length their story should you know say something about you as to what are your skills etc uh, at least a one page because i saw some letters this year that were like three lines and i was like this is a good student i taught the student in this this you know course and i would highly recommend the student in your program i'm like that doesn't tell me anything about the student so you need to have yeah. like all these uh, points as to what the students is good at or you know how they have progressed and all of that um, you need to be able to tell that story through your letters of recommendation and the same story needs to be told through your statement of purpose 
which is the uh, second most crucial piece or the only piece that you have under control or the only thing that you can do anything about during the application. Statement of purpose is like an essay. Um, most schools will have strict guidelines as to how long it can be. One to two pages is the maximum length, so somewhere between 500 to 800 words. And in that, you want to be able to tell your story as to your motivation for doing research, how you came about to it, or what you are expecting. Um, some people, and if you're sure, or if you have an area of expertise, like, you know, you've done some research in some field, specify it in that. Um, and also specify if you are interested in a university to work with someone, like, you know, you do this work, and at that university, you can just Google and see who's doing that work um, and just specify their name that this is someone you might be highly interested with, etc. This um, shows that you have done your background and you just didn't wake up one day and decided to submit the application. So you know, you know you've know, you done your thorough work, due diligence, and you are ready to do all of this work. So those are some of the key important things that all applications will require. Apart from that, there might be like minor other expectations that you know you'll have to fill in a form about your name address and all of those basics but these are the strong few things that you have to really work on right so talking about this statement of purpose and the recommendation letters and stuff uh, i know that sometimes uh, especially with letter of recommendation people another another mistake that i've seen i don't know if you have encountered it that sometimes you go to a mentor or someone you want to want them to write a recommendation letter and they don't write it and you end up writing it for them and asking them to sign and stuff right is that something recommended because somewhere i feel maybe it would be helpful in terms of giving them bullets or pointers of what you want to be included but at the same time it, it somewhere is evident that you are writing it if you're writing like three formats of it right because everybody has a different way of writing you you, as much as you would try, it will come across that you have probably written all three letters and you're just changing the words. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. Um, so, but yeah, so your point is, I completely agree and I encourage over here, once I got here, um, especially like deans of schools and all, they get a lot of requests and if they were to write everyone's letter, it's impossible. They would never get anything else done. So definitely um, pointers when you can give. Or if not, like sometimes over here also, when I ask someone, they are like, oh, sure, write me, write a letter and I will edit it on that. So definitely I would, if, um, if of course you trust the advisor and all of that and they have the time, sure, let them write it for you. If not, then uh, definitely give them pointers. If they are not available for that, then write the letter. Um, and yeah, I know it's a acquired skill to make sure that all three letters sound different or all of that, that takes a lot of work. One of the things I would suggest is having someone else read through it yeah. and edit it yeah. in a way that they think that it could be right. Um, and for sure, over here, people are not stupid. One of the things I feel like super embarrassing is when it's a cookie cutter letter of recommendation, which is some agency or someone else has written, and you can clearly see that it's got nothing to do with the student. It's like, you know, all, you know, the student is good at this and this and this, and it's just a bland statement. So what I think makes a difference is they are looking for your experiences. And uh, if you are asking someone to write a letter, that means you have spent some time with them. 
um, and they have mentored right. you on one-on-one. So you need to be able to show those one-on-one interactions in the letter, which is what makes the difference, even though the writing style might be very similar. So like right. one of the things I wrote is um, in the Lotus lobby area, you know, where the water cooler is basically for us. I used to have yes. a lot of discussions with Dr. Vishwa sitting right there in the lobby area uh, because classroom was always packed and, you know, there's uh, things going on in the staff room, etc. So you should just sit there and discuss a lot of times. And so um, that is something I wrote in my letter of recommend. Uh, this something I wrote in my statement of purpose, and he co-referenced it in his letter of recommendation. That yeah, mm-hmm. you know, he's super interested or curious about things, and, and whenever he has a question, he will just grab me and find me in the lobby, and we will discuss about it, etc. So those kind of one-on-one experiences is what is going to make each letter individual, because you cannot have same experiences with everybody. Right. So make sure you emphasize on those and make sure that, you know, that is something that is highlighted. Right. And I think I really liked how, uh, one very important thing that you mentioned is it is very important to make sure that you're asking others to read for you. Yep. It could be letter of recommendation. It could be statement of purpose as amazing writer as you could be. Just it's always better yep. to have like the people scan it and review it for you before you submit yeah. it. And it's important, I think, uh, that also, you know, your story is coherent. <clears throat> By story being coherent, I mean to say, if you are writing a, in your statement of purpose, it's again, you're trying to sell yourself. It's a marketing tool that why am I so great? Why should I, you know, you read my application. So you're putting down a story as to, you know, what you have done or how you have progressed, etc., etc. Um, Say you are writing about I did two researches while I was at Lotus. One was for uh, Silmo Paris and one was for my capstone project. If you're writing like two paragraphs in your statement of purpose about one research project, you want to make sure your letters of recommendation reflect that. It shouldn't be you Mm. write about one thing and the recommender is writing about the completely different thing. And then um, the reviewer on this end is like, wait, are these two different people or the same person? Uh, So make sure like whatever points you are stating, um, also get stated in the recommendation letter. If you are, say, hardworking, then the recommender should also say something along those lines. So what I did and which I feel is a very good um, idea is to get your statement of purpose thoroughly done very early. And then if the recommender, you send the statement of purpose and also the bullets um, and say, Sorry. okay, so this was our experience. Like, you know, um, I went wrong over here and then, you know, you you remember you corrected me on this 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 and i learned so quickly so you write that experience and you write hyphen perseverance or something like that so when the recommender is writing they have a lot of students if they are any good at their job they'll have at least a few students to write recommendation letter for or whatever so they will remember of that experience and write accordingly and if they are not writing you think of it that way and write accordingly so then i can see oh so yeah, in the statement of purpose and the letter of recommendation, they they are the same. Yeah, I think that's a great point that if they won't remember everything, right. they don't have time. First of all, they're writing it for you, which is the kind of like, you know, taking away not more, but at least 30 to 45 minutes of their day, which is important. And if they're doing it, you should aid them with whatever tools, yep. resources you can, because it's for yourself. So yep. you need to spend time. Perfect. So going on a few questions which are out there. Uh, for GRE, there are many schools where you need GRE. There are many schools you might be able to skip GRE. So kindly check into each school's application process. But there are schools that exist which don't need a GRE. Uh, the question was about master's. No, KU 
confirmed you don't need masters for phd so yes you can keep applying i have an, another interesting question from sylee where she said uh give me one second hold on my instagram decided to go <laughs> go slow can you see the questions from uh okay i i got back it says about you know where is where can you do your phd from is it uh, what is the best place for doing phd out there out in us is it optometry school or eye hospitals uh, do you have any so i personally i don't know of any eye hospitals that have phd programs in vision sciences um, all i know of are optometry schools in some sense or the other so i believe there are seven universities currently within us that provide phds and uh, they will have and they are associated with an optometry school so they will have an eye hospital or sort of similar setup somewhere in the vicinity again phd um, where you want to do is highly dependent on what you want to do um, if you are an open slate and you're like whoever will accept me sure apply everywhere uh, try and cater to each university a little bit but each university i believe has some strengths and there are more um, advisors or faculty members who are willing to take you in that area like uab particularly is known for um, posterior segment or retina kind of work diabetic retinopathy and all of that so you have so many people over here who do such an excellent job over here about that so if you are applying or if you are interested in that area uab would be a great choice houston on the contrary is more into clinical research um, myopia like if i were to go back and look at it retrospectively an ideal university for me would have been houston because they do a lot of clinical myopia um berkeley does a lot of basic science in myopia or at least this is the ones that i know of um indiana i know for sure they do a lot in optics um i think even their phd is known um physiology and optics or something that is not called vision science um and again each university will have its own strength so you look at their faculty profile and see which faculty is in what area at uab we have dry eye groups which are very strong so those are the places you want to go uh, of course i didn't know all of this for before applying so i applied to all universities i was like whoever wants to accept me i'll, I'll go happily uh, but again having said that um, you don't want to finalize on your topic and everything it's not like australia or uk where you come in with a topic or a masters um you want to be able to be flexible once you get here so yeah so it doesn't matter if you can find a place that has a phd program um doesn't matter whether it's an associated hospital or not it just depends on what you are interested in and what they are willing to offer um uab has a I, I think UAB in the vicinity has like eleven or twelve hospitals, but um, probably I am the only one so far doing any clinical research currently, at least. Um, so yeah, it doesn't matter if you have hospital access or not, and if you have clinical background, doesn't mean you have to do clinical research. That's why you are starting as a blank slate, because you could come here, learn about basic sciences and you know animal research or whatever there is to learn. and you might get interested and you know you can pursue down that path and it's a skill because now you know basics of optometry and you also know how to do basic science so my initial project was in guinea pigs and um, that is one of the jobs i'm applying for which actually requires a lot of guinea pig skills um so you measure like refraction and a scan on guinea pigs uh 
I have some experience. So I'm like, sure. So yeah, don't be limited to, oh, I can only go to an optometry school or anything like that. If that's a PhD program um, and you are interested, go apply for it. Again, don't be limited to vision science. If you are someone who is interested in neuro or some of that, you know, so apply for PhDs in neuroscience. Those are more challenging from what I've been told. But yeah, you are not limited by just, since you are optometrist, vision science is not the only place where you can apply. And they appreciate um, people from different fields because that brings in a lot of diversity and a different perspective. So probably you might have better uh, chances in a different program than just vision science. Got it. And I think this is interesting uh, just because you said uh, how it is different in, say, Australia and UK versus US, where you don't really have to go in with the topic or you don't really need to have that clarity that, yes, I want to do this and this is my speciality or my area of interest. It lets you explore and then decide. So talking about exploration, can you tell me, like, what is the program process like? okay, you got accepted, what happens after that? So generally, this is how it's set up. You get accepted. Um, again, UAB has changed drastically since I got in. Um, but currently how UAB goes, I'll explain. And in general, that will give you a gist. So uh, UAB currently the first semester. So you will come in sometime in August. That's when most programs start. If you can come in early, mm -hmm. I would recommend come in early because when I came here, I realized I was sitting at home doing twiddling my thumbs from you know, May to August, waiting for the date to arrive. Um, but I could have come here and started getting some experience, etc. And most universities have that option. So if you can come in, reach out to, once you're accepted, speak to your uh, dean or whatever, and try and see if that is possible. If not, you will come in in August and you will have a lot of classes to take. Um, simultaneously, UAB currently doesn't require you to start lab rotations, but most places will require to start lab rotation. What does lab rotation mean is you go through their list of faculties and you pick an advisor. You're like, okay, this is the something I'm interested in, or this is a person I want to work with, et cetera, et cetera. And you will work in their lab for eight, 10, 12 weeks. Each university will have its own different length. And the advisor is then, um, Get, you know, figuring out how you are as a person and you have to choose how the lab and the advisor is as a person. And you both mm -hmm. can agree that, okay, you are like, I want to join this person's lab and that advisor also has to accept you. Um, and then you finally find a home. Generally, most students end up doing two to three uh, lab rotations uh, just to get a variety of little bit hands-on experiences. And also it takes, sometimes it takes a while to figure out where you want to be. And it, that is not the end of the world. If you don't figure out by the third lab rotation, doesn't mean you get kicked out or something like that. I have seen students who have done seven lab rotations as well. It's just you are spending a lot more time and you know the program is also in a rush to get you somewhere, like get you a home because new students are coming in simultaneously. So um, while you're doing all this lab rotation work, you will have some sort of classes, which can be considered it's not equivalent to you do not get a degree of master's, but it is very similar to having master's classes. So they'll do basic sciences, anatomy, physiology, all of that, uh, right. skills, et cetera. But you do not get a master's once you're done with those classes. You, yeah, I did not get any master's. A lot of that is a misconception. So those would be your first one and a half to two years. Once you've finalized your lab in first year or so, you'll start working in the lab and you will end up on a final PhD project. And once you end, uh, once you decide on the PhD project, each school has a different entry level to candidacy. After that, the next step is PhD candidacy, 
if you were to set a bar as to where would a master's end it would be at candidacy for example so that's around the first two years you're done with all your classes you know what you're going to do and then all you have to do is research until you graduate um phd candidacy every school has very varied requirements some schools have eight ten hour long exams theory and i don't know oral exams and all of that uab is completely different we just write our research proposal and um we defend our proposal for an hour and that's pretty much all of it um so yeah that i would not comment on a lot but yeah that's something you will figure out once you get there and after that um you start your research and god forbid covid happens again in your time uh, you will be able to finish your research in time and uh, defend your thesis and graduate so that's the general process like got it so i think this is interesting how i think one very important thing which you mentioned was you do into rotation and you decide what you like and what you don't like because i feel there is somewhere again a misconception i would say because of the background that we come from and the way we are being trained and taught you come with a like half of the things or i would say most of the things are spoon fed and there is a pattern this is this is how it will work but it's very different when we study in in us they let you explore they let you decide what works for both of us so yeah. you as a student or an applicant also has a say in yeah. yeah i don't like this or i don't want to work with you i want to work on something else yeah. or with someone else so i think that is as liberating as it is it could sometimes be confusing as well because now you suddenly have to own your decision <laughs> yeah <laughs> versus someone telling you this is it like just do it and follow so yes so we prepared there are good and bad both of sides of it but you don't have to like you're not kid anymore you are at a phd level yeah. you're making your own decision and you know yeah. setting your own career path so i think that's that's a great great and important insight well, there let me tell you this it's not all a bed of roses it can't be like oh i want this person and you know they are waiting for yeah. you to join there are a lot of factors they have to have a project going or you know you have to have skills that are necessary in that area most of the times they'll be willing to train but depends um, if they have time etc they have money or not money is the biggest factor because they'll be the lab will be the one that is mostly funding you uh it shouldn't be a hindrance like uab if money is a problem um the the program funds that's how mine worked because my advisor did not have the funds that he i'm his first student dr fakhar's first student so it was not like a straightforward path so the program is funding etc uh things do work out but i'm not saying oh as soon as you see one person you like them it's just like oh yeah perfect joins up no yeah and and as you said at least this is what is very good here as well that there are ways you can talk to people yep. you can talk to admins and this is what i highly recommend everyone to do is even from your application process oh, yes. if you have any questions talk to the faculty talk to the admin you know department send them emails even if it means like you know asking same question 10 times they are very patient and they respond to everything yes. so talk to people that is the biggest key to you know find your way and do like i mean you know find the right path <laughs> biggest thing i've learned is ask for help don't be shy be annoying be perseverant so you have to send 50 emails send 50 emails um ask for help people are busy it's not that they don't want to help people are busy sometimes they forget yeah. sometimes they have something else going on um uh, just a gentle reminder every week every 2 3 days anywhere in science i would say that is one thing you have to keep in mind ask for help and right. be persevering like just keep chasing until you hear back 
Right. Perfect. So I'm going to take a few questions before I go into my next question. So uh, I, I saw Fakudin asking, okay, what is better, doing an OD or a PhD? Uh, depends what you want to do after you graduate. Um, Money-wise, if you're looking, I would say, again, depends. So it depends. OD will give you clinical licensing. So you will be able to do an optometrist job at a higher level because over here, the scope of practice is much larger um, in U.S., so that will give you the clinical license. A PhD will give you research skills. A PhD, I would say, opens a huge pathway. Um, you can now go into industry and, you know, you, in PhD, you don't, apart from the degree, you earn skills. So you can communicate well, you can write well, you can perform certain skills in the lab well, et cetera, et cetera. So that opens a huge pathway. Having said that, OD in US is, uh, if you have that kind of money, I wouldn't suggest you come to here, uh, come to US because it's very, very expensive. Uh, in well, the price ranges from um, like 150 to 200K um, USD, which is around, I don't know, one, one crore to 1.5 crore in Indian rupees. Um, and I, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, if you have that kind of money lying around in India, just sit there and enjoy, you know, why bother all this? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's the general price range. But having said that, again, if this is something you're very passionate about, there are ways, and you'll probably get to it in the end. That's something I'm looking forward to myself. Um, but yeah, that's the difference, depending on what you want to do. I feel getting into an OD program directly from India is much more challenging because one, they do not understand what optometry is in like in India. And two, it's very hard to bridge the gap because over here, no one, like very few people are doing that. So now slowly yeah. people are understanding, oh, this is possible. Oh, like, you know, they know what optometry is or they have these skills. Um, the blanket statement over here is optometrist job, just no refraction at that point, which is not true. We do mm -hmm. a lot more than just refraction. So, yeah, right. it's a uphill battle. But uh, if that is what you're interested in, go for it. Of course, considering you have the financial backing because uh, money is something that the government or the school does not sponsor for uh, clinical programs at least. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah, for me, it was a clear cut decision to go for research one because of interest and two, because there was no way I would have been able to pay for OD. Yeah. So another thing which the, which I another question someone has is, is publication mandatory to get into a PhD program? It is not mandatory. Um, I can tell that with confidence because I had zero publications when I got into the program. However, however, having publications is the currency it's the key if you have publications nothing like it that is going to put you far above everyone else also not saying pub like one of the things which is sad but one of the things that i saw um, in the application process over here is that they segregate publications based on international journals versus like local journals so you want to get a publication in international journals like optometry and vision science contact lens and anterior eye or physiological optics and one of those that really sets you apart like if you have publications what they are looking for in the application is do you know what research is like and do you do they think you will be able to succeed or finish the program how can you put that by showing oh yeah i have already published something so first author publications of course if you are on the seventh or eighth author in a 20 author title paper that is not going to count but if you have a first author publication it would be hard for anyone to reject you at that point. Uh, right. Yeah, publications not mandatory. I had zero. 
um, sometimes I feel I was the dumbest kid to apply. But at the same time, saying that you know research is more important. Um, just somehow show them abstracts. Put down any abstracts you have, local, international, anything. So you know to show that you are aware of the research process and you have had right. some exposure to it. Right. And when you said about you know you had mentioned and I'm going back to one of the questions which is there in the comments. You said you don't need money to apply for PhD. It's not expensive, right? I mean, in sense, of course, there's an application process, but when you compare to like an OD program oh, yeah. or something, you don't really, you don't really need that kind of money. But someone did mention or ask like, what is a scholarship process? So I feel there is still a few questions in terms of the financial part of PhD. If you can, you know, discuss more about that. So of course, your application is going to cost. If you have to do West evaluation, is two hundred dollars. Depending on university, I think UAB is like fifty dollars for application but i remember berkeley being 120 these numbers change every year so don't quote me on any of those you need to look out and find out what's the and some of them are free as well i remember some of them just being you apply you don't have to pay anything at all uh, apart from that gre is going to cost you certain amount and tofel will cost you certain amount i don't know what it costs right now um, but i'm i'm taking the whole process through once you get uh, once you send an application you get your interview interview is virtual if you are in India, especially but they would fly you in if you are in US, but most of us aren't. Um, so that is free, like Zoom, basically. And after that, um, you would have to pay for your visa out of your pocket. I believe currently it stands at around $200 and your passport and all of that um, and your AFA. Um, if they send you a position, all I can say confidently that if they accept you um, into the program, all PhD programs in US are funded for vision science at least. So if they accept you, that means you get a stipend and a scholarship and all that fancy stuff, whatever you want to put their name. Everyone has a different way of calling it. And some people got like I had a blazer fellowship and don't worry into the details of what the title is, but they will give you enough money to survive in that city per month on a monthly basis. If you live with roommates or something like that, you can easily save up a lot of money. Um, and also they will, um, well, I shouldn't quote this, but at least at UAB, your medical expenses are covered. So you have in health insurance or not. And that is in India, we don't see it as a big thing, but in US that is okay. the most expensive thing if you have to get any health stuff. Back. You don't have a medical insurance in US, don't even enter, don't even step. Don't even consider coming here. So they will provide with that and they will um, provide with all your tuition. So any classes and all that you take, um, that is covered at UAB, at least the policies, I was free to study whatever I wanted um, as long as they thought it would help me. So I have taken a bunch of classes from leadership all the way to like, you know, um, understanding how to do better arts in science. So better drawing in science for, you know, understanding how to do better figures, etc. So, yeah, each university has its own policy. Uh, once you get there, but they will cover all your tuition expenses. So what I would say is you need to have enough money all the way until you can get yourself an air ticket. Oh, air ticket from India to US. After that, I think you're pretty much covered. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. So you don't really have to go through the hassle of uh, really applying for scholarships and you know no. knowing of making sure that will I be able to pay the fee or you know, PhD, the tuition thing. applicants like you are considered for a scholarship. They won't get you here unless they can pay you here. At least in a vision science, that's the case. 
Got it. I think that's that's great. Uh, I hope I've, we've answered that question. If anything, any other thing that you'll have around, around this, do drop in a question and I'll try to take that and ask you about it. Now, uh, when we talk about, you know, okay, you got into PhD, it's great. You liked it. But what is a student like? Let's go into the reality of it. <laughs> I know you just mentioned it's your weekend and your weekend plan is doing dishes doing your laundry, cooking, so that you can feed yourself for the next one week. That is a reality, guys. It's not all beautiful. Yes, he might post images of beautiful fall colors outside, but inside he is probably vacuuming and doing dishes. Okay. One, do not look at my Insta and think that's what my life is. That is, I'll be honest, that is completely fake. I take these pictures <laughs> once in a month or once in every two, three months, and they are spread out over the time because a lot of friends in India are like, you don't post anything. And I trust me, I don't even post actually. These are all set up on a Hootsuite account and they automatically post after a certain time. <laughs> That's how busy things can get. Um, yeah, so I would say in research and in PhD, it's a cycle, uh, or not a cycle, but it, it has its ups and downs. Like right now I'm a little more free because the semester is ended. Though I'm not taking any classes, it, uh, frees up some time for my advisor. So I'm doing fewer things on that end. It frees up a lot of other activities that I do um, on campus. Like, you know, students are going home or whatever. So there's some extra time that way. But during the semester also, it cycles like fall. As soon as the start, everything picks up. There are a bunch of deadlines for grants or, um, you know, scholarships or etc. And then, you know, that's the time I see patients mostly because students are on campus and then it dips down during holidays and again it will pick up so it's not all crazy hassle and you know you don't get any holidays and you're going to die working that's not how bad it is but at the same time it it can get very difficult um a typical day and uh, it depends vastly on what lab you choose my lab like my advisor doesn't care when i do the work as long as i do the work i could i could he would be okay if i sat in india for six months but i still kept doing the work somehow so um, and some labs I know, they are very typical about like, you know, why are you not here by 9.05? You know, you should, we're supposed to be here at 9 a.m. and you cannot leave before 5 p.m. Um, some labs expect you to be there at 6 a.m. and not leave before 10 p.m. Uh, it's all very varied on what lab you choose. Again, what you want to get out of your PhD. Um, and that also depends on school. Like I have certain friends who are so much into like policy making and student government etc that um, they spend like half of their phd just doing that and those are the skills they are acquiring um, that girl i know for sure whom i'm talking about she will end up into some sort of like policy or u.s government position etc in the end um, i am more into leadership and also i take a lot of those positions um, i'm the vice president been for the past three years, I believe, for the graduate student government. So it's a body of 7,000 students, and we have a budget of $100,000 per year to manage all of that. So yeah, I do a lot of that, and my advisor encourages it. He's like, those are skills you need. And now, retrospectively, I'm like, I'm so happy I did it. Um, some labs just want to focus you on the work. So it depends what you are here for and what you want to get out of it. Of course, the more PhD is a double-edged sword. They, there is no uh, limit to how much you know you want to work because the more you work the more publications the more experience and uh, more you know things you will get out of your phd and you have what four or five years of free education 
and you can take like i was i was taking like 16 18 credits per uh, semester when i started and then my admin was like you're consuming funds worth of two students we can't allow you to do that uh, <laughs> but having said that coming from india i felt like oh there are no opportunities there and there are so many opportunities grab on to everything but that was the wrong approach um, try and focus on things you want to achieve there are opportunities in every area and field so you start my day starts generally around 5 or 6 i will do some meditation get breakfast um after that i'll start working on emails um i did not realize how bad emails can get until i got here like it takes an hour or two to just get through emails um and then around 9 i will either start working on my project currently and if you are a first year you probably have some classes at that point um post classes you will go into the lab i would say for my case i would seeing a be seeing a patient for my research um then it all of that ends like you have a lunch hour or so and i take my lunch whenever wherever possible i'm not very specific um but some people are specific like 12 to 1 i won't do anything so sure and then after that like i see patients maybe by 5ish it winds off um on a general basis ideally i would like to go to the gym it uh, doesn't happen every day um sometimes doesn't happen for a month but on an ideal basis i would like to go work out or something like that and then by 7ish i'm done with that come home um you know cook or something because at that point there's a bunch of cleaning of vessels and cooking and all that stuff nice happy stuff which your moms are doing currently and you will have to do once you're here um and yeah the day ends with me either trying to catch up on some other work uh for the next day or you have to study for an exam or something like that in your first second year or me trying to read some books or doing some other leadership activities and all and in this in between of this you can sprinkle like you know award lectures or you know there are some people attending over here or visiting so you get to meet those people or there are some lectures or lunches or meetings or something or the other so yeah those kind of things um on the weekends generally there are a lot of activities going on uh while doing this i'm missing one of them so we have a science center and um this graduate student government does a community service activity um that um you know we can go and help over there and as a perk of helping that place we get to enjoy the place for the rest of the day for free so yeah those kind of things are always there um most of the weekend definitely goes in um trying to keep up like you know cleaning the room doing laundry dishes all of that and uh, yeah the whatever remaining time is there we either try to binge netflix or try and get some photos so i can keep posting but yeah that's that's what the general life is like you do get holidays uh, uab is very um, annoying in that sense i would say they consider as employees when it comes to holidays so officially i'm only given like i think four or five um, holidays a year um but apart from that there's always a discussion with your advisor and um, you can get like 2 3 weeks off um a year to go home if you want what i did was like hey i'm not going to go home for the next 2 years so i'm going to take 6 weeks off when i go home because i feel like going home jet lag and everything it just takes one week away as it is so yeah those kind of discussions are all independent and depends on your advisor if you're getting married sure i'm sure they'll be okay with you going for a month um but yeah yeah so it um, so it i really like how you how you describe your entire student life mainly it is more of work plus it also give you a personal time it's not just work 
work work and like you know you will die working because you think yeah. you know at UAB mental health is very important and um, most schools it is in US mental health has become the new hot trending topic and so yeah personal uh, care personal time very very important i had a i'll be honest i had a burnout uh, early in my phd and it's not advisable um sure you think you are doing a lot more and you're productive but that burnout will take like a month or two away in the end so it's not worth it uh, don't go for it it's okay if you can't write a paper or it's okay if you can't submit a fellowship that's not worth it so yeah taking personal time is very important and make sure you guard and protect that time i know some students who have like i'm not going to answer any emails after 5 pm on friday like until monday morning 9 am even if my project is on fire i don't care um so yeah you set your boundaries and make sure people understand your advisor understands that um so yeah i think that's very important and it is uh, it is kind of appreciated and accepted in us as what i've seen more compared to coming from india where people do have a very distinct work and life like they don't mix everything like we do we are always on the go we're yeah. always available that is not considered to be a good thing because they feel you are not contributing 100% in either of it yeah. not in your personal life or yourself and work so as difficult but that doesn't mean you take it for granted and don't work so yeah. <laughs> you need to find a sweet spot there uh we have like a last question before we end up this uh, session what next i know we all feel okay i've got your phd okay is that end of what you're trying to do or what's next so i'll tell um, there there are a lot of options it's not the end of the world um of course i think if you're planning to stay in the us the challenge is more like um making sure you can keep your visa rolling because getting yeah. green card in us is like forever unless you get married to someone who's a citizen that works out very well but um <laughs> getting a green card is a challenge uh, uh but yeah so you want to keep your visa rolling and that's that's a game that gets changed with every presidency i feel um in my case um i'm looking to go to optometry school currently there are seven optometry schools in the us that offer some sort of bridging program so i have an optometry from india and then you know they will give me one or two years of study over here and i get my od i want to do that primarily because my research is clinical and if i were to see independent patients for my research i would need a licensing otherwise i would always be dependent on someone who has that um right. but also having said that there are um, other jobs that you can apply for um like companies multinationals your advisor is the one who will connect you with it and you just don't have like one one person or two people will be your primary advisor but you have a group of uh, mentors like a lot of them mm-hmm. like i have five or six of them who have expertise in some area or the other and they can connect you with these people um in the industry and all and you can apply for that a lot of students go the postdoc route which i believe is um the least paying if i'm all honest um of course more paying than a phd but it's the least paying but at the same time if you are planning a research and a faculty career it's the most ideal um so a lot of students would go do a post doc for a year uh, for two years four years some people just love that job and keep doing that um some people switch jump it's becoming more and more fluid you could be in academia and join industry and vice right. versa uh, of course i'm not saying it's easy but more and more it's being accepted <clears throat> that you know it's okay to switch over 
so yeah these are some of the options um, that i have seen or i would consider od programs are getting easier and if you have not applied yet by the time you finish your phd um i think getting into an od program would be way easier um i did not know how it would happen for my time but i'm pretty confident i can end up in one uh, once i'm done but yeah these are uh, the few options um it's not like oh there are no jobs in the us and you know um you will have to go back to india i know people who have gone back to india it's not the end of the world you have a lot of them at lvpi and they are doing excellent work um right but at the same time you are not phd is a skill you are not limited by country i know people go to australia after getting this uh, phd because now they have a research skill set which is applicable wherever you want to go um so yeah there are lots and lots of options um of course you have to be a strong candidate and you have to apply you can't be like oh people will be begging for me to join uh, i hope that happens to you but that is not the case most likely but yeah after that you have multiple options you can join pharma companies um uh, depending on your area of expertise or you can join um industry like jnj or pix they do a lot of dry eye contact lens so yeah a lot of options wonderful so i know we do have like a limitation in insta live so i'm going to kind of end this quickly uh i'm i really appreciate and thank you so much for missing your your weekend routine you know joining us on this insta live this was super helpful for all those who have joined i hope we have answered all your questions if not, most of your questions if not all and this is going to be available even later so just follow nodi optometrist and you'll be able to you know access this video even on the later time so if you miss some part of it don't worry it's not end of the world and you can reach out to me or i would say even kayur yeah. he might take some time to respond but we'll definitely respond back to you guys yeah. uh thank you once again kayur for your time and thank you everyone for joining i really really appreciate it thank Thank you thank you for having me and hope you guys have a great uh, evening and great sunday um, and i'll go get started with my weekend thank you so much bye, bye.